Welcome to A Christian and a Buddhist Walk Into a Bar. My name is Jamal and I am a Buddhist. I'm Jacob. I am a Christian. Hit no, I left you hanging there. Yeah, I know, right, yeah, right, right, yeah. Building the tension. I, I think you've tried, you've done that before. I remember a podcast episode we've done before where you've been like, oh, are you really a Christian still? Like, yeah. Jacob, if you ever legitimately stop being a Christian, I actually think you would stop this podcast. I think you would have such a crisis of identity. You you Your life would look nothing like it looked, and you would have to effectively abandon everything in your life, including, unfortunately, this podcast, if you stop being a Christian. Well, I mean, like a... Uh, an atheist and a Buddhist walk into a bar is just a tautology, right? Like, it, it, it is. Um, but, like, the, you, you are probably the most Christian person I have ever met. Like, 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 there's a level of, like, and I mean that in a very good way. I have a lot oh, of respect for Christianity. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, there's a level at which I feel like your identity is as a human being is as a Christian. And I, I just, I'm not quite, there are people I could see who would convert out and fundamentally be the same person. I just don't think that's true of you. No, I think that's, I think that's fair because I, I, I reckon as I've just gone on in my life and my faith journey, as the kids like to call it, like it's it, the relationship with God thing is something that I've leaned into. A lot. I mean, that's how I wound up in ministry right and doing what i do now and also i think if i wasn't a christian i would be a nihilist which is not a terribly comforting thought um but that the kind of my consistent position for a long time has been that that is a like absent god looking at the world as it is like nihilism makes the most sense and the most logic as a position and i think most we're going in direction i did not expect to go at the beginning of this <laughs> podcast but um i i suspect that most australian kind of atheist slash agnostic type people haven't thought through the logic of that position to get to the nihilism bit because it's mildly terrifying yeah, no, nihilism is, is terrifying. That's why I love it. <laughs> um, <laughs> you like living on the edge, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, You have an article for us this week. I, d- I do have an article, and it kind of touches a, a bit on the discussion that we had last week, um, kind of unknowingly. It's called I Can Tolerate Anything Except the Out Group on uh, Slate Star Codex, which a friend sent to me a long time ago, and I read it then and read it again more recently and flicked it through to you. And... We're just going to look at part one of this because it it wrestles with the concept of forgiveness um, and drawing largely on um, G.K. Chesterton's The Secret of Father Brown. So fair warning, there's spoilers for a hundred-year-old book, The Secret of Father Brown, which I have not read. Have you read it? Uh, No, I I do not know who Father Brown is and I do not know The Secret. I I think the television series is based on... The Chesterton book, but I could be wrong. Is it the television series The Secret? No, the Father Brown. I don't even know the television series. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, you, yeah. This, this is my lack of uh, my lack of British cultural knowledge, or whatever this happens to be. <laughs> British cultural knowledge, it's yeah. true. Um, so he describes um, a b- beloved nobleman comes and murders his good for nothing brother, and thirty years later returns to his hometown racked by guilt, and all of the townspeople want to forgive him. Uh, and they mock the priest who's only willing to measure out forgiveness if there's some penance and some self-reflection 
involved. They lecture him on the virtues of charity and compassion. And later it comes out that the beloved nobleman did not in fact kill his good-for-nothing brother, but the good-for-nothing brother, shock horror, killed the beloved nobleman and stole his identity. And all of the crowd wants to see him lynched. And again, the priest is calling for forgiveness based on penance and self-reflection. And the priest tells him, it seems to me that you only pardon the sins you don't really think are sinful. You only forgive criminals when they commit what you don't regard as crimes, but rather as conventions. You forgive a conventional duel just as you forgive a conventional divorce. You forgive because there isn't anything to be forgiven. Um, And the article kind of goes on there to talk about, well, what if like most of the time when we say I forgive you we mean actually there was no harm done and no problem and it's all good and what if when we say something is unforgivable what we actually mean is that there was serious harm done and actually to forgive that person would be really a difficult thing Um, and so I thought this was worth jumping into after our discussion about the kind of expansion of the circle or um, living as though our circles didn't have barriers around them and all of that kind of thing because that that seems to me to inherently entail conflict um, because to to encounter someone different than you is to I mean, at the, at the very least is to, you could say kind of sociology 101 kind of challenges your identity a bit and how, how we deal with encountering someone different to us. But it also means that there's all sorts of um, confusions can arise or also if you're going to act as though there's no circle or it's all just one big circle, then you're going to find yourself in a circle with people who might do bad things and hurt you and hurt other people. And, and how do you deal with that? Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. I, I to start with, I really like this this piece. I, I really like Chesterton's point. Um, I think that there's a really interesting thing there around the breaking of kind of acceptable conventions versus the breaking of um, kind of rules. Mm-hmm. You know that that certain things are okay. So yeah, killing killing your brother in an ordained duel when your brother kind of sucked anyway is probably okay. And that your brother sucked anyway is kind of the key part of this, I well, think. Well, yeah, and that's, yeah. Yeah, that, that's kind of where I'm leading to with this, right, is that I think there's a layer to this that I'm, I'm not sure is mentioned in the article, but I think is inherent in that, which is that it matters who's doing the thing that needs forgiven. Yeah. You know, it needs to be forgiven, right? Like, you know, to use the divorce example there, right, I think you know, there are lots of examples and lots of examples through history where for one party to divorce the other party would be punishable by death, but for mm-hmm. the other party to divorce the first party is totally fine. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and so that's a combination of the kind of... And I think it's a... It, yeah, here's an interesting layer. I, I wonder whether the distinction between what is acceptable and not acceptable... Because, I, again, I agree with the fundamentals that forgiven is... To forgive in most common parlance is to say that what you've done is actually acceptable. You know, mm-hmm. it's unfortunate but acceptable. That's not actually forgiveness. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, and then to not be able to forgive is to actually say, well, what you've done is not acceptable, right? So the question then begets, where is the line between acceptable and not acceptable? Like, what makes oh, an okay. action acceptable yeah, yeah, and not yeah. acceptable? Because, you know, um, in this example, right, it's the same action, right? At the end of the day, one person has killed another person. 
mm-hmm. right? It's just that one person's murder is acceptable and the other person's murder is not acceptable, right? Mm-hmm. So really, where is that line that defines one murder is acceptable because and one murder is Because it's clearly, in this case, not murder in and right. of itself. Yeah, the, yeah. the act of killing another yeah, yeah. human being is not in itself the thing that is unacceptable, right? There's mm-hmm. something else there that's unacceptable. And, you know, I think there are lots of ways you could cut that. There are lots of ways you... Yeah, and I think convention versus rules is a really good way of cutting that. But I also want to go a layer deeper where I think who does the act probably matters more than anybody else. And what is the acceptability of the person doing that act to do that act? Mm. Um, that matters a lot. And again, to go back to our conversation last week, in-group, out-group, right? If you are in my in-group, you can do certain acts and that are would be unacceptable for someone from my out-group to do. Yep. You can, and the closer yep. you are to the center of the in-group, the more you can do those acts. And, and and also actually the who you do them to kind of depends on that in-group, out-group stuff as well, right? right. Like, if you, if you so, do an act to someone of the out-group, that's more acceptable than if you do an act to someone else in the in-group. Absolutely. And and he, he goes on to give this fascinating example um, in the article uh, about a... Um, a post that he wrote where he was um, kind of criticised by a lot of his liberal friends um, saying that the um, death of Osama bin Laden was a good thing, Um, and and which is not because they all thought Osama bin Laden was a lovely guy and everything else, but it turns out you know, his group of progressive thinkers, like military action and that kind of thing is all, like, it's bad. Any death is a tragedy, basically, was was the response, which is, you know, not an unreasonable position to take on the whole, except that then when Margaret Thatcher dies, not that long Everyone's afterwards... dancing on her grave. And- the, the, that whole same group is saying, ding-dong, the witch is dead, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so why is that acceptable? So... The, it turns out that for this group, Thatcher is much more of the outgroup than ISIS and Al yeah, Qaeda well, ever well, were. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think there's that layer, and I think an additional layer to go for, to our conversation last week again, which yeah, this is probably just a. It's not a part two, but it should be a part two. Um, <laughs> but like, I I think an additional layer to that, which I find really interesting, is that you know if we go back to this idea that progressive politics wants to expand the circle and conservative politics wants to retain mm. the circle, mm. um, I think in in its attempt to expand the circle, progressive people are probably rightly, but very, very concerned with the people on the edges. So they're mm-hmm. concerned with the people who are on the edges of the existing circle and the people who are just outside who they want to expand the circle to, right? Like that, that that's naturally the people to be concerned with because you're trying to make that bigger. So yeah. who are the people that, that get in as soon as you make it bigger? Um, and they're probably less concerned with the people at the centre of the circle. And I think there's there's an argument to that because the people at the centre of the circle have significant power, so you don't need to be as concerned about them because, you know, whatever, they're fine. Um, so I think there's a good argument for that. But I think there's probably a greater reaction to a statement that is, oh, it's good that somebody who was just on the outs was killed versus mm-hmm. it's good that someone who was on the centre is killed, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, when when progressive people are focused so much on the edges of the circle, it is obviously a bigger problem 
to be critical of or be metering out you know perceived negativity or oppression on those edges because that's against the movement the movement is to expand and there's also that but to to flip it as well it's easier from that mindset to forgive osama bin laden or, or at least not hold a grudge against osama bin laden than it is to forgive thatcher because right. within this particular think group, Thatcher's the one who's actually been opposing the expansion of the circle. Right. And, you, and you can, like, there's a whole different argument about how grounded in reality or not that is. And as soon as you switch the politics, Bin Laden becomes a much bigger enemy well, than Thatcher ever was. Well, and, and again, if, but, we, if we say what's acceptable or not, what's acceptable is the thing that is in line with what you're trying to do, right? So Thatcher is trying to is trying to retain the circle, so that's unacceptable. Yeah. Whereas Bin Laden is trying to destroy your circle and establish their own circle. That's more acceptable because you well, and, and, don't like your circle. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah basic, basically, and, that, and that's where he goes in the in the piece. Um, and, and we don't need to necessarily labour the politics of those two sure. particular individuals all that much. But it does go to this question of like, well, how, how do you forgive someone with whom you deeply disagree? Yeah, and that's... That is very interesting, right? And I think so. There's one more layer I want to labor on this one just a little bit. There's, sure. um, I was having a conversation. Or someone who's deeply hurt you, actually, because hurt is mm. a subjective mm. as well as an objective thing, right? Mm. Um, and, and two people could hurt you equally, but because you have a closer relationship with one of them, you, you might experience that hurt in a deeper way. I, I think that's key, right? So if we're talking about acceptability, if we're talking about, you know, well, you know, forgiveness is given only with acceptability. So therefore, what is acceptability and who is acceptability? Mm-hmm. I think there's a really interesting point there, which is that people who are people are more acceptable the less they've hurt you, right? Or people become less acceptable the more that they've hurt you. Yes. And yep. I would argue that in my experience, people who are more progressive, people who are more concerned with the people on the edges, people who think the death of us, uh, celebrating the death of Sam Bin Laden is worse than celebrating the death of Thatcher, are people who probably have been hurt by the center of the circle themselves more. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the people that hate Thatcher are working class people, realistically, because Thatcher fucked over working class people. And, um, and, and a certain group of cultural elite. Yes, but who align themselves with working class people? Sure, right. Yeah, who, who whose sentiments again? Were we hurt could get by, we could get yeah, into yeah. actually how real that is yeah, or not. Yeah, and there's yeah. a whole Howard's Battlers thing and everything yeah. else. But yeah, but yes, yeah. yeah, sentiments are, are are hurt by working class people. Um, and I, yeah, I think there's a really interesting point there that the people who are hurt by somebody find it much much harder to find that person acceptable and the same goes for a system the people who are hurt Mm -hmm. by a system you know to go religious on this the people who are hurt by the catholic church i think would have very little issue with not forgiving the catholic church um you know and so yeah there's an interesting i don't know there's something in that around that kind of that personal experience of oppression that if Mm -hmm. you've been oppressed by somebody then they lose a sense of kind of redeemability in your mm-hmm. eyes, I find really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but the point I wanted to make before, I think, 
is another one I just want to labor on this for a second. I was having a conversation with a friend uh, on a very long drive yesterday. And um, we were talking about, the question was posed is, what is power? Which is a lovely mm-hmm. little esoteric question. Um, and we went down a weirdly quantum physics route. We kind of got some interesting kind of, just yeah, that's another podcast right there. Yeah. Because um, <laughs> I've done like a little bit of power research in, in undergrad days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's a really interesting point in all of that, which is that power can be conceived of as there's a really there's a really kind of gross way of describing power, which is how easy it is for you to get away with murder. Yeah, sure. Right? It's a kind of just a test. How much power do you have? Is how easy would it be, or how much effort do you have to put in to not be punished for murder? Mm-hmm. Right. And so you know the people with the most power, I would argue, the police, go and get away with murder all the time. To the extent that we don't call it murder. Right. You, yeah. You're given authority yeah. by the state to go and murder. Yeah. The military gets away with murder every sure. single day. Um, and, you know, there are some people in society for whom they have to work, so, they would have to work so hard that they can't even walk down the street without being suspected of <laughs> murdering somebody. Right. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, you know, yep. and, and that, that, yep. that's just an interesting way of analyzing how much power you have. But I think mm. it goes to this example, right? That in this example, Good brother has more power than good for nothing brother. Yeah, right? absolutely. Because yeah, yeah. good brother gets away with murder. Good brother's yeah. murder is acceptable. Yeah, it's it's an expression of the power that person has in that community. Yes. Versus, and so maybe that's another take on it, which is you know, you can forgive people. Oh, the, the, oh that, that, that one's a little icky. You can forgive people with power, in a way that you can't forgive people without power. Right, but you're talking about a an is and i'm interested in the or right okay. like we, which is which is how do you in the hypothetical forgive the people without power like if, if forgiving people without power is the more difficult thing to do on that like on just on that telling of events like how do how do you actually create the structure within yourself let alone within wider society to be able to forgive those people so th- there's there's a little known philosophy um religion about this called buddhism right and never heard of it and and, and this buddhism idea posits that there actually is no inherently good or bad things and that all attempts of your mind to relay value judgments on things are actually all false and deluded Mm -hmm. and so if you do something like say meditate for a long time you can let go of all of those uh judgments of the mind that would dictate to you whether or not something is acceptable or not and then you would be in this this glorious state called enlightenment that would mean you would have no judgments of that kind and you would be able to in fact treat everything uh with a kind of an equanimous uh fair even hand so so this is a this is a direction which i feel rather foolish because i should have been able to predict the podcast going in this uh, you have direction. fallen into my trap <laughs> i absolutely have because what what's what what i find fascinating in what you've just described is actually that buddhism doesn't make it easier to forgive buddhism makes it unnecessary to forgive right yeah. So, well, I mean, it makes it, it, it gets around the problem by saying, oh, "I don't need it's, to bother it's, with it's, that." It's easy because it's <laughs> unnecessary, right? Because, well, yeah. Well, but like, but that's the thing. Like, I think in practic in a practical sense, the Buddhists would always forgive, right? So there's a Buddhist forgiveness ceremony, right? We don't really have confession in Buddhism, sure. Right? Um, 
but we do have a kind of forgiveness ceremony where you kind of go, hey, yeah, for anything I've done, willingly or unwillingly, by body, speech, or mind, yeah, I ask that you forgive me, and the, the monk will forgive you, right? Oh, okay. That um, sounds like confession. Yeah, but you don't really go and list all the things you've done and say how bad you are or anything. Um, you just kind of go, I did some shit, sorry. Um, <laughs> you know. So, I mean, that that's... Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. But, yeah. But, but but you know, but like it's. I think it becomes very very easy to forgive when you have an understanding and realization that there is nothing to forgive. Well, no, it's not easy to forgive at all. You're just not forgiving. Well, sure, but but the whole purpose of but the whole purpose of forgiveness is to wipe the slate clean of whatever ill action was caused. And if you observe that there was no ill action caused, sure, you no, there's say, no slate to wipe clean. Sure, but so. But again, this is a this is a thing that must happen in a relationship where one person is probably not enlightened and still think there is thinks there is a slate to be wiped. Right. Away. So yeah, yeah, yeah. so if I'm enlightened, I can go. Oh, here's nothing to forgive. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Of course you're forgiven. There's nothing really to forgive anyway. Whatever. So so in the day to day trenches of Buddhism, then yeah. speaking to me as a I presume unenlightened man. Yes. How do you how do you deal with that? How do you navigate that knowing that there if I can, if I can put it this way, knowing that there ought to be nothing to forgive, and yet discovering that there is, I I navigate that by being aware of the fact that my need for forgiveness. So let's say I've, I'll use a personal. Let's say I've done something wrong here. Okay. Yeah. So your need for forgiveness for yourself, rather than your need yeah, to forgive someone else. Right. Yep. But my need for so I can go to the other one as well if we want later. But like yeah, but in the first instance, my need for forgiveness of myself, I can recognize that that is just based on my deluded view that. There was a, there was a kind of a, a value judgment or a moral kind of position to what I did. That actually all action is just kind of irrelevant in the chaos of the universe. And you know, it, 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 I can't just wake up one day and go, oh cool, I don't feel bad about that anymore, right? <laughs> and yeah, you know, I do apply a layer of practical, like, well, I still live in the world and I still live yep. in a. I live and you in, can't just willpower your way out, right. which is kind of where we got to the end of last episode. Right, but but I think where I end up with is you know the more Buddhist I am and the more in line with my teachings I am on any given day, I am much better at forgiving myself. I, I just forgive myself. I just do it because I'm like, mm-hmm. well, I know there's nothing to forgive, but I also kind of know psychologically like, I kind of need this, so I'm just going to... So you release yourself. I'm just going to release it. I'm just going to yeah. do it, right? Yeah. Because like, it, it becomes so easy to do because I know that... I know that I don't need to do it except for the fact that I need to hear my, I need, I need it to be done. So I can just, I can go through the motions mm-hmm. knowing they're just motions and are kind of unnecessary because knowing they're unnecessary. You know, it's harder to give proper forgiveness when you genuinely think that you need, you've done, you've right, fucked right, something right. up. So, so probably the more pertinent example there is not one where you feel you need forgiveness but where you need to forgive someone else where someone else right. has harmed you and, and the, in but the, some sa- way. the same thing happens in that case right so you know and again it's harder because i think when someone's harmed me i am not observing the other side of it i'm not observing the kind of the the need for mm-hmm. forgiveness in the same way because i'm not experiencing it i'm only observing the harm right sure. I'm, I'm feeling and observing the harm and and again as a buddhist what i would do in that scenario if i'm being a good buddhist as much as i can be is you know i would sit with that emotion i would sit with that harm with that pain and i would realize that my reaction and my feeling of hurt is just a delusion is just caught up with my own attachments Mm -hmm. and that if if i can and let's say i can let go of my attachments that you know let's say somebody came and punched me in the face and i was like well that's that really hurt and like emotionally as well as physically yeah, yeah, yeah yeah and it's like well it's only my attachment to not being punched in the face <laughs> that makes that feel emotionally and psychologically a problem. 
you know, and so it's like, well, you know, if I can give up that attachment to not feeling physical pain, if I can give up that attachment mm. to not fe- to feeling disrespected to whatever else, then I can, oh, you know, I go through that process internally of dropping the thing that hurt me that you and, and you do that kind of through a meditative process, yeah, of like contemplation, just a, telling myself, no, it doesn't matter. No, or, you know, yeah, it, right. It's, it's, it's contemplation. Yeah. It's contemplative, right? Yeah. yeah. But yeah, you, you you feel the emotion, you accept the emotion, you realize that the root cause of that emotion is actually your own attachments, not what anybody else did. Mm-hmm. And once I can properly sit with that, then I no longer feel hurt by the action that you did to punch me in the face. And so then I'm able to forgive you because suddenly it's not that much of a bad thing that you've done because i'm no longer hurt by it in the same way yeah okay so you, you process the hurt yeah which then removes the barrier that is causing you to not be able to forgive which i mean like th- does lead, like to my mind that just leaves a, a meta problem which you're probably going to tell me is just not a problem at all but of, of inherently of justice right like you know, if, if there's no good or bad, then there's also no just or unjust, and you kind of right, but the, the, ultimately the, wind up with anarchy, right? You, like there's, there's, I mean, I, yeah. I've, I've espoused the benefits of anarchy in the last podcast, <laughs> but uh, but the the, the the need, but like, I would say the need for justice is tied up in your attachments. That only because you are attached to certain outcomes or the world being a certain way, do you think there is an ought that is just, and that anything mm-hmm. other than that ought is unjust. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right. So the whole concept of justice is 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 null and void. Yeah, in a pure. Um, and, and so there is no, there is no, because there is no right and wrong. There is no wrong that needs to be like kind of atoned for or made right, right or exactly. whatever. Yeah, because the and, whole thing's just a delusion. Yeah, and, yeah. and again, this is pure theoretical Buddhism, and you know, Buddhism does have lots of these layers about how do you deal with this in a world which n- not everyone is enlightened, right? And in a world which you are not even enlightened. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know. There are more practical ways that Buddhism gives about, you know, giving forgiveness and, you know, you know, understanding, you know, I, w- I would say the Buddhist's kind of concept of justice is a much more restorative justice concept rather than like a punitive justice concept. Sure. So, you know, there, there, there's no punishment that should be, I, I've never heard of a Buddhist go, oh, well, that person should be in jail and punished and whatever, right? Mm-hmm. It's very much a, that person probably needs to do some work to acknowledge the hurt that they've caused and mm-hmm. apologize and genuinely connect with that person and build some empathy. So it's a much more restorative kind of approach. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, what's the Christian take on all of this? So the, the Christian take on all of this is that, you know, in news that will surprise no one, forgiveness flows from God, right? Like, and so you ha- you actually have this great See, God is just economy. attached. God is just attached. To God is attached. <laughs> yeah, and and I thank God that God is attached. Like that's a it's a good thing, right? Well, and and this is the thing is because it it, it does acknowledge to use the Buddhist terminology those various attachments, right? Like my and, and and but would say that my attachment to not being punched in the face is actually a a good thing like that that's a yeah it, it is it is nice and good to not be punched in the face that's a, to use a legal term that's a my enjoyment of life and liberty <laughs> includes not being punched in the face and, and so therefore if somebody has punched me in the face they they've harmed me they've deprived me of something in some way and and everything is not all right kind of for me within myself or between us 
and that something needs to happen in this, in this case forgiveness in order to kind of make that right and to restore things to to how it was um and, and in fact one um one christian apologist puts it this way if if you stand on my toe and then my toe gets broken from that then i like i can i can forgive you for that and i can say look i'm not going to hold that against you i'm not going to sue you for it or anything like that but i've still got fundamentally the problem that my toe is broken and that's not yeah, maybe that's a problem that I'm attached to the idea of having an unbroken toe, yeah, right? Your toe, yeah. <laughs> but but it's a it's a it's a real problem for me, uh, and he, he goes on to say that what happens with the cross with Jesus is that that brokenness is taken on to God, and actually to 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 circle back to the power dynamics you were talking about before, that. Um, kind of people in power seem to get away with or find it easier to to be forgiven for things than people who don't have power. This is what makes it such an outrageous thing when Jesus goes around forgiving people's sins, wandering around in first century Judaism going, your sins are forgiven. It's like, well, how can you do that? Because you you haven't actually, I, I haven't done anything against Jesus that needs to be forgiven for me. The stuff I've done is against other people and by extension, God. So who does this guy think he is wandering around just say, oh, you're forgiven, you're forgiven, you're forgiven. Like, th- th- you've got to have like a, a parent or an authority to do that. Sorry, I've, I've sidetracked us a little bit. So I, th- it is an interesting question though. When Jesus is walking around saying you're forgiven, mm. is Jesus saying you've done something wrong and I'm forgiving you? Or is Jesus saying there was nothing that you did that was wrong? Uh, Jesus is saying that you you have done something wrong and I've forgiven you. Or, or there is, a, a, maybe a better way to put it is that there's kind of, there's wrongness and brokenness in your life. And we could get the, you know, the first century Jewish... Mm conception of sin is a bit more complicated than that but sure yeah because i I guess this brings us back to the probably the real point of this article that we have deftly sidestepped which is (laughs) yeah how do you forgive someone when you truly believe they have done something wrong i think we've we've firmly established how that forgiveness is generally only considered necessary when there is a wrong Mm -hmm. and i think we've firmly established that for most people forgiveness is probably impossible right that like Mm -hmm. you know we cannot and do not forgive when we feel like there has been a wrong that has been occurred and only once we drop the concept of that thing that happened being a wrong which i think you know there's lots of examples of people forgiving over the course of time or you know when situations have changed or whatever else right but like i think broadly speaking for most people when anybody forgives, what they're really saying is, I'm okay with what you did now, rather than, you know, I don't think what you did was wrong. Um, yeah, but I'm, I'm going to, I want to push back on that a little bit, actually. Okay. Because, so I think in terms of for forgiveness to happen, for there to be reconciliation between two people, there needs to be some act of contrition, like this is a, the penance and self-reflection that Father Brown was talking about, like there, there has to be some level of acknowledgement of the hurt that I've caused you, and some level of like not not necessarily making you, know, you may not be able to make that right, right? Like you you can't unbreak my toe if you've stood on my toe, 
but a a humility to go yep i've i've messed up things between us because of what i did and so i'm kind of i place myself at your mercy in a way like you, you but also, pu- but push yourself into a position of powerlessness i'll, I'll push back on your pushback yeah, yeah. because that there is just adding a value judgment to responsibility taking right like like that's all that is doing is saying that we value accountability and so people who are willing to be accountable and willing to take responsibility for their actions that their actions are essentially lessened in extremity due no, to no. the fact that they're willing to take responsibility no no like so that's that's one part of the story that's that's actually if we're going to continue to get on as people because there's something something bad has happened sorry i'm using all these value yeah, terms, but something bad has happened between us that there's a rupture in our relationship that can't like i can't trust you again until there's a certain level of contrition from you or so some stuff needs to happen to repair the relationship in order for me to trust you again if, if you've wronged me but there's another aspect of forgiveness which is a it, it's not saying that the bad thing didn't happen or that it doesn't matter but it's a willingness to let go of it which we like kind of in my in my experience is always an imperfect thing right sure like, but i i guess but, my argument is that that willingness only arrives yeah. once you have dropped the value judgment of the bad thing no so, see that that's where i disagree completely i, and I want to quote nadia bolts weber who is a wonderful tattooed pastor you would love her actually mm-hmm. um but she says that forgiveness is not saying it's okay forgiveness is saying that what you did is so not okay that i'm going to refuse to be connected to it anymore like i'm not going to let it have power over my life i'm not going to let the hurt control me and it's not that it was okay and fine and i'm over it it's uh i'm refusing to participate in that harm See, I, I'm choosing I, I, to not be involved. I would make a linguistic kind of difference there, and you can argue with me whether this matters or not. But I would say that that is absolution, not forgiveness. That's absolving oneself of the situation, not forgiving it. Well, okay, so that's that's really that's really interesting because and maybe look, maybe that's a linguistic turn, but if so. Because the, the practice in the church of what follows confession, the announcement of the forgiveness is actually, it's called the absolution. Right. The and, and, absolving. And, and that's the, what I think. I think, yeah. I think that the, you are using the term forgiveness to refer to absolution, right? Okay. I, I think the, the, the use of forgiveness in this article is actually probably more correct. That forgiveness is something, is just saying, I don't think what you did is that bad anymore. Right, and I think it probably goes from a state of I used to think it was that bad, and now I don't. Right. Okay. I forgive all the forgiveness. Because I, my reading was that he's saying that's not genuine forgiveness. I, well, I, that's, and, that's and, just, so I, I agree. Yeah. That's what he's saying. That's not genuine. But what he's asking for is absolution. Right. So, yeah, yeah, sure. So what they're yeah. what they're saying. Gen, so again, my position is maybe that forgiveness is impossible. Right. That genuine forgiveness as forgiveness is impossible. It is as human beings pretty much impossible to say I think what you did was wrong. Yep. And I am genuinely forgiving you to the extent that I no longer think what you did is wrong. You cannot both hold, I think what you did is wrong, and I don't think what you did is wrong, right? So 
genuine forgiveness in that sense is impossible. So the statement of forgiveness is only ever the statement, I don't think what you did is wrong anymore or whatever. Whereas right. absolution okay, is the yep. idea of, I still think what you did is wrong, but yep. I am no longer engaging with it. Yes, and, and and if you want to use that term, then then actually what God does is absolution and not forgiveness, right? Right. Where God says, I think that what you did is wrong and I'm refusing to engage with it, but it does not therefore follow that I think you are wrong. Right, right. And, and I think that linguistic turn is important, even though it is a little bit of semantics. Don't ask me exactly why I think it's important. No, <laughs> I thought it was going it, to, because feel, it feels really semantic to me. Right? It, it, it does, but it feels important. And I don't know, okay, I can pack it up. Let's see if I can unpack it. But it's like, I, I think there is a difference. I, I think there is a power in accepting that forgiveness is impossible, right? And maybe this is the Buddhist take on this, right? Which is that, like, that there that if you try and find a world where, when you say absolute, when when you say forgiveness, you mean absolution, but actually you're fine to say forgiveness. I think what you are then doing is accepting. You're accept. That's it. You're accepting the moral judgment on the action, right? So right. to say, well, it's all forgiveness, and if we accept that forgiveness means I think you, oh yeah, I, 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 I no longer think what you did is wrong. You, you're, you're accepting the fact that there is a normative moral judgment that says you ought not to have done that, right? The, okay. the thing you did was wrong by God. It was objectively wrong. Sure. That there's no world in which what you did was right or ever will be right. It was objectively wrong. Sure. Um, however, I'm happy to run with that. Yeah. Yeah. And and to say, well, what I'm, what I'm doing is forgiving you is to say, well. You know, I know that what you did was objectively wrong, but also I'm. You know, I'm not holding it against I'm you. O- I'm okay with the fact you did that, yep. right? Um, and I think. I think it's important to me to define that differently from, I know what you did is the absolution argument, which is I know what you did is objectively wrong, and I'm no longer going to, um, engage with the fact that you did that. Essentially, I'm going to drop the fact that I'm going to disconnect my mm-hmm. view of you or how I interact with you from the fact that you did that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important to talk about that as different from the idea of that going, well, actually I know what you did is wrong, but also, you know, that, that, that I am okay with the fact that you did that. Right. It, it's, it is important. I, I think there's a difference between um, disconnecting with somebody who did something or dis- disconnecting with the wrong that somebody did and, genuinely saying that you know they did that wrong but you are okay with it you're comfortable with the wrong that happened rather than just ignoring it right but i I don't think that that's how wrong works and i'm not i'm not saying that you're well maybe ultimately i am saying that you're ignoring it but like i yeah i just i don't think that wrong is something that you become comfortable with maybe maybe we kind of become desensitized but, 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 to so, wrong so, at a certain so, but, but level this is right? It, right but th- that judgment is is the objective normative judgment that says you can never become comfortable with it because it was always wrong in the eyes of god or always objectively wrong whereas i guess from a relativist buddhist perspective i would say that you absolutely can become comfortable with it because you can realize that actually it's only your attachments that make you think it was wrong right so there's yeah, yeah, a, yeah. Th- to me that's an important distinction because in buddhism i don't want to ignore that Right. I, I don't want to hold on to a world in which I know you did something wrong, but I'm just going to move on from that fact and treat you like you didn't do it. And I'm going mm-hmm. to absolve you of 
whatever whatever that is, right? Because to me, doing that is to still buy into the concept that it was wrong in the first place. And it's important to me as a Buddhist to acknowledge that my view that it was wrong at all was the thing at fault here. Right. Whereas to me as a Christian, it's really, it's important for me to acknowledge that actually it was fundamentally wrong yes. in the first place. A, and, and that and that if I'm going to pretend that it was not wrong, then I'm deluded. Yes. Yeah. Whereas so I'm saying you're deluded by thinking it was yeah, wrong. Fundamental it's, it's a difference fundamental between difference us. between the, the yep. yeah, approach, right? Yep. And, and again, and maybe that's why I'm finding it important to call what I'm doing forgiveness and what you do, you're doing absolution, right? Like, sure. And yeah, I'm happy to run with those terms if you want to run with those yeah, yeah. terms. And and I just to to kind of close off before we got into the semantics of like the in in Christianity and certainly for me, it's this is what seems to work best insofar as I'm able to do it is that the way that absolution works and and actually being able to let go of the hurt that was there is acknowledging that it was still hurt because you don't want to pretend that actually it wasn't and that everything is just all okay um but also to be able to leave that hurt with god rather than needing to carry it myself Um, right and and that's where the whole jesus thing comes in because he takes or like like god is the one that can deal with it and 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 i think if you look at the practical lay-based buddhism approach to it it probably looks quite similar to that right yeah but yeah i think there's. i've noticed some remarkable similarities in this until two minutes ago in in this whole conversation yes i think there's just a distinction between that and the the enlightened kind of approach to it right but yeah um though it does remind me of this time a Christian Buddhist walked into a bar. Yeah. Uh, and they walked into the bar. I would and think one of them would have seen it. Um, oh, they both got hurt badly, and that was objectively terrible. Someone should put some signage on that bar. Sorry. N- Nasruddin needs a job putting some signs up. <laughs> Please, not Nasruddin. That's not going to make it safe. <laughs> no, but... <laughs> it's not going to be Nasruddin. No, uh, t- today there is a, a Zen monk in the bar. Okay. A Zen monk sitting in the bar. Uh, and they're, they're trying to compose a kind of a Buddhist saying. Um, but also trying to compose a, a, a Buddhist saying um, that's going to sell a lot of oh, self-help what they, books. What are they called? The sayings? The ko- 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 so a koan's a question. Koan. Oh, okay, right. And, and actually, we can, we, can, we can do an episode on koans in the future. Well, that'd be fine. Um, but yes, um, he's, he's trying to compose a saying that can also be the title of his self-help book. And he's kind of productivity manual of just like, you know, he's, you know, he's a bit of an entrepreneurial kind of Zen Buddhist, wants to wants to get in on the self-help craze. So, you know, he's writing this, this productivity manual. And it's like, how do, I, how do I bring Zen into this? I don't know. Um, and they, you know, they talk with the Christian and the Buddhist. And at one point, they go, ah, I got it. No, it is. Be patient and achieve all things. Be impatient and achieve all things faster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, which you know um, is is definitely the productivity manual that, um, that Kevin McLeod would write uh, with his very patient and excellent music. Probably, yeah. I'm surprised. I don't have to forgive you for the joke yeah, this no. week. There, yeah, there was no, no harm caused. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you can write in uh, your jokes and forgiveness messages to christianbuddhistbar at gmail.com. You certainly can. Oh, you can find us on Facebook and walk into a bar with us in Canberra. Yeah. We might see you there.